Well, good morning. How are we doing? Pleasure to see you guys this morning. Pleasure to be here at Birmingham Community Church. Um, just ready to share God's word. Uh, I'm going to pray for us real quick and then we'll hop right in. Father, thank you so much for this amu- amazing, beautiful Sunday. Um, God, we are longing to hear your voice, uh, to become more like you, to be transformed by you. Uh, God, we thank you that you go above and beyond whatever we're expecting right now. So, Lord, we just expect you, God, to do the work that only you can do. Um, and, Father, we just pray right now, God, that um, uh, we would see you in your amazing, beautiful light, that we would hold you more dearly than we ever have ever before, um, that this world would truly see you through our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read this to us, and then uh, we'll jump right in. It says this in Jonah chapter 1, 4 through 16. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell deep into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where is your country? And what, from what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running from, away from the Lord because he had already done, told them. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even more wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Um, we're continuing our sermon series, I believe, for the next four weeks in the book of Jonah. Jonah is an absolutely amazing story, crazy story. Um, as Pastor Chris alluded to last week, um, it's not just a, the, a tale about a, a, a guy who goes and preaches to a rebellious nation and the rebellious nation repents. It's much more complex than that. It's much more ironic than that. And the casual reader that reads this book uh, would probably miss uh, a lot of what's actually being communicated. You see, uh, most of the pro- books of the prophets, when they're written, they're written with the words of the prophet that they received from God. So God would speak to 
the prophet, that prophet would echo the voice of God, right? But this book of Jonah is special because it doesn't just speak to us um, about the voice of God. It speaks to us about the prophet's life. And through the prophet's life, we begin to see what God is like, the character and nature of God. And that's how we relate to this book. We're looking deeper into this book. We're looking at what God is communicating through the story and the life of Jonah. A lot of it is what not to do. Aren't you glad? Right? Because there's some things we should do, right? That in chapter two that we'll find out, I think, next week. But there's some things we don't want to, we should not do. And Jonah helps us with that. Thank God. Um, but here he is. There's this raging storm. Raging. We have a lot of storms in Alabama, right? Power goes out, can't do a whole lot. I mean, here's this raging storm, and the Bible says it was great. In fact, it's the same word that God uses to describe Nineveh, great. And so there's this raging storm that God hurls this storm at Jonah. And, and the, it's so bad, the ship even breaks apart. I remember this one time, me and my dad and my brother were actually roaming in a boat, um, and uh, the motor went out. And it started to storm, and the winds and the waves started to push us. So no matter how hard we rode, the storm was pushing us in a direction that we did not want to go, right? And so you, could you only imagine that the very fibers of the ship are being torn apart? I don't know if you've ever been in a house, uh, maybe here years ago, I think it was almost uh, 13, 14 years ago, where that big tornado hit, and, and basically houses were shredded, they were all decimated, and this is what's actually happening. And it's so scary that even the sailors are afraid, right? Because, I mean, we would be afraid if there was a, um, you know, you, you really want to be afraid if you see that all the sailors are uh, getting pretty worked up about it. And so here he is. Here's this man of God who heard from God. The Bible says that he was in the presence of God and that he actually fleed from the presence of God. And, and here he is. He was faithful for a lot of his life. But all of a sudden you see this amazing, faithful man of God leave the presence of God and become unfaithful. What would make someone who is in the very presence of God, who communicated with God, who spoke for God, become unfaithful? Again, Pastor Chris talked to us about that last week. It's, it's, it's this whole message. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Jonah was to call and go and preach to this Ninevite nation. And this wasn't just any nation. This wasn't just a regular pagan nation and, uh, you know, uh, that he had to go to a different people because usually prophets were called to their own people. But this prophet was called to a pagan nation. This nation was uh, basically one of the most barbaric nations in history. In fact, um, when I was looking this up on a lot of top 10 lists, it was one of the most barbaric uh, ancient uh, hi- uh, nations in the history of the world. Um, and some of the things that they used to do were so brutal. You know it's really brutal when you do bad things to children, right? And so what they would do to children is they would sacrifice children. They would burn them alive. How many of y'all say that's pretty dang bad, right? Um, they would actually decapitate parents and actually put the poles, uh, their poles on the heads and make the children parade around in celebration. And they would celebrate. It was a city of bloodshed. It was a city that... Um, that you really wanted nothing to do with. In fact, you wanted that to go down. And you can kind of see why Jonah says, hey, God, how about this idea of actually warning this city that you're going to judge them? How about we don't do that? Right? I mean, we would want them, every movie we watch, we want the bad guy to get it, right? And Jonah's like, no mercy for them, no warnings for them. They just deserve mercy. And, and on top of that, if they got mercy, that would mean that Israel would not would, would continue to be overtaken by the, this empire. So this meant certainty in his own mind, uh, 
persecution for his people. This meant a continued reign of one of the most evil, horrific nations. He's like, no way that we're going to warn them, no way. So I'm making the decision to run God because there's no way you can work your sovereign plan and your sovereign will through all of this. And so I'm going to run. And here we find a runaway. Have you ever wanted to run away from God? Have you ever had that same mentality as Jonah? has had, where you thought there's no good that could come from this, so I'm going to run away from God. But instead of running away from God, God pursues Jonah. God does many things, and that's what I want to take a look at today. I want to talk about how God pursues runners, how God pursues rebels, because here's the point. Parts of us, when we're walking with God, maybe you're not walking with God, maybe you want to find out how you can walk with God and how God has ultimately pursued you. I'm glad that this message is going to speak to you today, but can I tell you that as believers, sometimes we want to run away, right? Sometimes we don't want to follow the plan of God for life. Sometimes we want to flee from God's presence, and sometimes we want to pursue our agenda. But Jonah's going to teach us today that there's nowhere we can run that God will not come for us for, that he's willing to go further than we are willing to run away. So how far is God willing to go to pursue runaways and rebels? Let's take a look at that. So how does God primarily run after us? Um, He runs to us um, and helps us, and he calls us out through his word. That's my first point. I got three points for us today. God calls out to his people through his word. Notice in verses one through four that it said, the word of the Lord came to who? Jonah, right? Y'all can talk back to me a little bit. Uh, um, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Anytime God is about to do something amazing, anytime God is about to do something powerful, he always sends out his word in the beginning in Genesis. When the world was chaotic, when it was formless, when it was void, what happened? God sent his word. Because whenever God is about to do something, whenever God is about to make something beautiful, whenever God is about to take the chaos, because that's what it means to be God. God, uh, not what it means to be God, but what God does. God takes the chaos, God takes the void, and he makes goodness flow from it by creating through his word. And God has always meant for Jonah to take that word, that same word that created the beautiful earth and made everything that was good and made humanity, to take that and then bring that to the Ninevites. To bring that, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Anytime God wants to do something powerful, anytime he wants to do something God good, he always sends his word. And that's why we gather on Sunday morning. That's why we sing about the word. That's why we meet in small groups to talk about the word. Because without the word, we're running away from God. We're running not with God. We have our own agendas. We come up with our own plans and we're left wandering and sailing. And so what does Jonah do again? He pays a fare, right? He pays a fare. He pays a fare to go 2,500 miles. Now listen, it's only 500 miles to Nineveh. It's 2,500 miles to Tarshish all the way. And this is the ends of the earth. I mean, he's trying to escape. He's trying to have nothing to do with God. I mean, he's probably going further than most of us would, right? He's not just trying to go to uh, another place or another city. He's going as far as he can away from the very presence of God. 2,500 miles. He's paying an amazing cost, and he's absolutely exhausted. We find him later on completely exhausted, tired, right? Because he's wrestling with this word of God to go here and to go there, and he's just completely tired because it's actually more of a burden. Here's the truth now. It's more of a burden to run from God and to run after your own agendas than it is to obey God. 
Amen? It's more burdensome. And so he's finding himself completely overtaken. (laughs) Some scholars say he's sleeping the sleep of sorrows and just medicating with sleep. What do we do? We like to medicate with different things. Sleep, alcohol, uh, different types of drugs, different types of uh, things. We like to medicate with vacation and all those things, you know, are good in their place. But can I tell you that when you're superly consumed and you're avoiding God and you're going after these other things, expecting those things now to do for you what only God can do, it becomes uh, unproductive. It becomes sinful. It becomes, it breaks apart your life. And so here he is, he pays his fare. He sets up his own kingdom. He's, he's going down uh, on this other path um, and he's sinning against God. And he's realizing this is that eventually he'll realize this, that, this, that sin costs you more than you want to pay, takes you further than you ever want to go and keeps you longer than you want to stay. And um, it's kind of like salt water, right? We expect these choices and this re- rebellion to actually satisfy us. We expect these agendas that, if, apart from God's plans, that are going to make us whole, that are going to uh, uh, produce, uh, satisfy our thirst, the thirst of our soul. And it does what salt water does. Anybody ever drink salt water? My family's at the beach this week, right? And um, when you go swimming in, in the ocean, you drink salt water. Does salt water ever satisfy you? It actually dehydrates you. And Jonah's really about to find out this out. He's about to really get a big taste of salt water. And that's what sin does. Sin causes, it promises us that it's going to quench us, but it never does. It dehydrates us. It drains us. And Jonah is find, finding himself here. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And because we're image bearers, we were always meant to carry God's word. Can I tell you that Birmingham Community Church wants to fill you with God's word every Sunday? Every time we sing, every time we shout, every time uh, we get together in small groups, Birmingham Community Church, God wants us to fill us with his word so that we can be image bearers. Because can I tell you, you're called to go into the chaos, just like God. You're called to see the chaos. You're called to see the Ninevites. You're called to see the broken and dying world and to take this word of God and run into, this, uh, into these places that need him. God not only sends his word, <laughs> but when we don't listen, God likes to send uh, storms and sailors. That's the next thing that God sends. God not only calls out to his people through his word, he cries out to his people through the world, through the natural order of this world. Things don't work the way that they're supposed to, right? So the storm is hurled, and like a spear, uh, at, right at Jonah's ship, to get Jonah's attention. God through the world turns, in a sense, up the bomb. You ever have that happen before? It's like, maybe God's trying to speak to me, right? Primarily, again, he wants to point us back to his word, but God turns the volume up uh, through, through uh, giving ourselves over to our work so much that it begins to be taxing on our own heart. Uh, maybe it's um, that we're drinking too much, and then all of a sudden our bodies start to degrade, right? We begin to be physically affected. All these things, God turns up, and these storms start to hit our life, Because here's the truth, is that God was sending the storm to redeem Jonah. God was sending the storm to save Jonah, but Jonah's ignoring him. Uh, I just want to clarify this this point, that every storm is not caused by sin. There are different types of storms, right? Uh, there's, uh, there's sometimes storms when you obey God, right? I remember this moment with, in uh, Matthew chapter 8, where Jesus is with his uh, disciples in the boat, and this storm comes. But then there's this amazing moment 
excuse me, there's this amazing moment where uh, they encounter God in the midst of the storm. And this is what their conclusion was. They were amazed and perplexed. Who is this man that even the winds and waves obey him? So no matter if you're in a storm because of disobedience or if you're in a matter, if you're in a storm because of obedience, there's a revelation of God, a revelation of who he is that manifests, that brings us and draws us closer to him. In fact, you grow, you and I grow in the storm. There was in, in, in Matthew 14, there was another storm that they had entered in because of obedience. But in this storm, you know what they said? They came up with this conclusion. This is the son of God. Surely this is the son of God. You see how that went? Who is this man? There was a question of questioning. Who is this Jesus? That even the winds and waves obey him? And now that now the conclusion is surely this is the son of God. So we can see God revealing himself through this storm. But what does Jonah do? Jonah's in the storm because of disobedience. And does he pray? Never prays. <laughs> never cries out to God. In fact, when the sailors are emptying the ship and getting rid of the, their possessions, their valuable cargo, which they're trying to make money with and do commerce with later on, um, they actually get rid of all their possessions. And Jonah just is sitting there doing absolutely nothing. I mean, what a spokesman for God, right? What, what, a, what a person who's created in the image of God should be doing good, right? Should be looking at the chaos, entering in, trying to help, especially if it's your fault, right? especially if he created this mess. But Jonah doesn't do anything, um, and he's fully responsible. And so the captain comes up to him after they've tried a bunch of things. The captain actually says this, Jonah, arise, call out, or this word says preach. In fact, it's the same words that God has spoken to him in uh, verses 1 through 4. He, God speaks to him with the word of the Lord, arise and call, arise and preach, Now, this captain, this person in authority, God is speaking through him, and Jonah is reminded of God speaking to him. Again, God primarily speaks to us through his word. God will speak through the natural order of men, through these sailors, through this captain. This heathen captain is preaching to Jonah. He's saying, Jonah, turn to God. <laughs> Call on your God. And Jonah's kind of confused. He's like, wait a second, that's, that's what I do for a living. I, I tell people about God. And I refuse to go to the pagans. I refuse to go to this Ninevite place. But now all the pagans are preaching to me. Isn't that ironic? He's supposed to be, I mean, Jonah's basically a quarterback that doesn't throw the ball. Joseph's, ba- I mean, he's ba- Jonah's basically like a center who doesn't dunk. He doesn't, he's not acting as the prophet of God who hears the word of God and delivers the word of God. He is an unfaithful prophet because he has an agenda. Because when you have an agenda other than God's agenda, it gets in the way. So he tells Jonah, take God, take notice of us should, so that we do not perish. In fact, the, the people of God are always supposed to be uh, experiencing God and looking out for mankind. In fact, the blessing of God was to come through the people of God, and they were supposed to be so blessed that it welcomed the other nations. They were supposed to do good to one another and do good to uh, the outside community and teach people how to live in this productive life of relating to God, of, of experiencing God, of his depths of his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness. And Jonah doesn't do anything, not one Thing for the good of, this, of, of, of these sailors, and it's all his fault. <laughs> After that, uh, we see this, uh, the sailors uh, responding, right? So we got storms, and we got sailors. 
speaking to him. And here they are. This is basically easy evangelism for Jonah. I mean, these sailors are who, you know, going to ask him a bunch of questions here in a second. They're asking him, where did you come from? Who's your God? All these things. I mean, if anything, a prophet of God would have been like amazed that God would call the Gentile nations, that God would be calling people right then and there to himself. But Jonah says nothing. He is silent. When we read this book, we should be like, what kind of prophet are you? Like, what kind of person are you? What kind of priest are What kind of person are you? Shouldn't you be proclaiming the word of God? This is why we don't believe this book was written primarily by man. We would have made ourselves look a whole lot better than this, right? Jonah was like, hey, can we eliminate some of these faults of mine and make myself look a whole lot better? Because, right, when we post Facebook pictures or Instagram pictures, we don't post the worst pictures of us. We post the what? The best pictures of us, right? I remember before there was social media, um, there was this person, right? Um, this is when AOL I am was kind of popular, for some of you that remember that, right? Um, they, uh, I had, uh, uh, they, I got this weird pop-up, and this girl in college said she had saw me and wanted to meet me, and I was like, okay, well, kind of cool. She thought I looked, you know, some, some, like something, and then, um, so she sent me a picture, a clean picture, a good picture of herself, and I said, oh, she's kind of pretty, you know, I'd like to meet her for lunch, and this is kind of weird, but, you know, like, maybe this is, like, the new thing, so before there's any dating apps or anything like that, and so, um, uh, uh, we met in the lunchroom and I was, I remember walking by and looking for her and I so I thought I saw someone that looked kind of resembled like them. Right. And it, uh, and I was looking over there and I was like, that can't be her. Man, she looked nothing like her picture, like not even close. And so I just kept walking. Like I was like, nope, that's de- deceiver, deception. You look nothing like you're supposed to look. And, and, and I say all that because when we post pictures, when we portray who we are, when we're declaring about um, how uh, if this book was really written about, man, we would have made ourselves look a whole lot better. And God doesn't hide any of Jonah's faults. <laughs> Jonah's not fitting the script like a lot of leaders in ministry today. When we look at churches, when we look at certain environments, we see so many leaders falling, so many leaders uh, making wrong choices, immoral choices, sinful choices. Why? Why are we surprised? This is in the Bible, right? I mean, yes, we do expect uh, uh, leaders to have, we hold them to a different standard, even God does. But at the same time, it's all over in scripture. Samson, David, um, all these guys making all these different choices, but God doesn't give up even on leaders. God doesn't give up on those who are willing to go to the ends of the earth to escape him. <coughs> God comes after him. God loves him. So who's the hero of the story? Jonah? <laughs> no way. God is the hero of the story. God is lovingly convicting him through the voice of this captain, through the tenderness and compassion of the sailors. Right? We're going to find that out here in a second. So they cast lots. They find out for Jonah. And they ask, Jonah, who are you? And I think this is a very important question because I think the scripture actually asks us this question too. Who are you? What does Jonah say? I'm a Hebrew. I'm a worshiper of God. I fear God, right? He says all these things, but notice the order. Notice what he says. He says, I'm a Hebrew. Basically, he says, I'm an American. This is who I am. <laughs> and whenever your identity is rooted in something before your worship, it'll, be the actual, it'll take the place of what you worship the most. 
Jonah is a nationalist. He's a certain uh, supporter of, I believe, King Jeroboam. Uh, When he was in office, he supported the borders. He supported all these things. And he wanted his nation to prosper. And because he was so bent on that and he was so, (laughs) he had so had this agenda, it got in the way of God's agenda. Nothing wrong with those things. But it's what he put before God. It's what his identity is rooted in. Let me ask you this question because you have to search down deep. You have to think deeply today. What is your identity in? I love what one person said um, to find this truth out is who are you when you sleep? When you go to bed at night, who are you? When you're not trying to show anybody who you truly are, what are you resting? What do you uh, allow to give uh, the most meaning to your life? What drives you? What makes you who you are? Who do you introduce yourself to other people as? And so here he is having this identity instead of (coughs) solely as a worshiper first, he pointed himself as a Hebrew. So they ask him another question. Do you realize what you've done? I mean, this is, think about this. This is God speaking. Like, you know, when he asked Adam and Eve in the garden, right? He's asking, you know, where are you? He's not asking for his sake. He's asking for their sake. Because they realize what Jonah's done. Jonah, do you realize what you've done. And all this time, there's this healthy fearfulness of God, of crossing the boundaries of God, of getting on God's wrong side here, of not doing what he says, that the sailors are fruitful and having this type of fruit coming out of their life. And it's absent from the life of Jonah. Jonah's being massively confronted. And then they ask this question, what must we do to be saved? Jonah's like, I don't even want to be saved, guys. Like, how can Jonah preach this message To them, God calls out to us through his word. God cries out to his people through the natural world. But then here's the third part of how God comes after us is God connects to us. God connects to us by the the substitutional sacrifice of his prophet. So here he is. He says this. He has this, uh, not just idea, but what is actually going to solve. He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Right. And could you imagine that being there right there? Pick me up and throw me. It's like, no, Jonah, no, 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 no. That's a bad idea. You're full of bad ideas. Maybe it was wrong for us to ask you this question because taking you out, taking his prophet, you're supposed to be in Nineveh. You, you need to go. We need to like turn this ship around. So that's what they actually try to do. They actually try to turn. But does Jonah recommend that? Does Jonah say, hey, okay, let's try this. Maybe God will move this way. And does he try to get on the boat? Does he try to, he doesn't even lift a finger. He wants to be thrown into the sea. You know why? Because he's actually trying to escape the call of God. This is not Jonah turning over a new leaf and saying, maybe I should, maybe if we do this, you know, maybe there are some, he sees the good in, in, the, uh, in the sailors. Maybe he's saying, you know what, I don't want you to perish, so here's how we can both get what we want. Here's a transactional deal. You throw me into the sea, I escape God's call, and you guys basically get to live. And so the sailors are now fighting for his life. Can you see the ironic of just, I don't even know if that's a word, but can you see the irony, right, of the sailors who are pagan sailors who do not know God, who have been calling on false God, who are now uh, um, trying and living for the good of Jonah. Jonah's becoming slowly unraveled. Slowly, he's beginning to realize how lost he truly is because here's the thing. Only when Jonah truly realizes how lost he is, can he actually go and preach the message that God wants him to preach to a pagan nation like the Ninevites? 
So here he is, willing to die rather than to repent and obey. And all of a sudden, after they throw him into the heart of the sea, um, these pagan sailors do three things. They fear God. In fact, it actually uses the covenantal name of God. Some scholars and some commentators said, well, we don't know if they were saved. We don't know. That's true. We don't know. But there's, there's a measure of the scripture that's pointing to that they're using the name Yahweh, the covenantal name of God, that they feared God, something Jonah never did right there, right? That they offered sacrifices to God in worship to God. And this is after the storm. They make vows to God, meaning this. They're not trying to work deals with God. They're saying, God, we promise to live this way because we realize how amazing Amazing how powerful you truly are. <clears throat> you know, the Bible talks a lot about storms. And in the end, I, I believe this is um, that this text leaves us longing for a real prophet. Because the truth is, we all, we have, we all are, um, have this big problem of this big storm. Storm of God's wrath. And I, I want to take a moment and step aside from the message of Jonah or the story of Jonah and insert ourselves into this story. Because I believe this is all of us have this storm coming in our life. And we experience some of the storm through the storms of life. And it's the storm of God's righteous wrath that comes upon sinners. We cannot escape it. And we need to be saved from this uh, storm of judgment against our sin. It's not a storm that we can simply row ourselves um, out of through our good works, our effort. It's not a storm we can simply ignore any longer. It's not a storm that through our genuineness of crying out (coughs) could satisfy. It's not through any of our strivings. There's nothing we can absolutely do to avoid the massive storm of God's wrath There's only one sacrifice that Jesus himself made. You see, the reason why we come and and remember God's word and focus on God's word is because it tells us the good news of the gospel, that Jesus provided a way of salvation for us. That although not like Jonah, who was guilty, uh, and Jesus was perfect in every way, he hurled himself into God's storm of wrath so that you and I would be saved. He was cast out of God's boat, in a sense, so that we could arrive safely on the shores of eternity. He bore judgment in our place. Instead of bringing judgment, he bore judgment. And he sunk down to the depths on our behalf so that we might ask the question this morning, of what the sailors asked, what kind of fear and wonder should we have? What kind of sacrifices should we make? What kind of vows or repentance should we offer God? See, this story of Jonah uh, always points to uh, the greater Jonah who came to this earth who made the sacrifice, who didn't just come from Israel and went to the ends of the earth to save himself, but came from the ends of, uh, came from the uh, eternity and went all the way to earth and went all the way through eternity to save his people. So I want, I want us to ask those questions. Is my life responding 
the same way as these fishermen responded. Uh, Father, I just thank you for your word this morning. God, I pray that today we would experience the same fear and wonder The same fear and wonder that these fishermen experienced when they encountered you. God, we would make the right sacrifices. There would be a realignment. God, that there would be these vows that we would make in repentance to you to go a different way, to turn to you (coughs) and to do your will. Lord, we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.